Hello, everyone. Thanks for dialing in into the Re7 podcast. Uh, today, we have an exciting guest, uh, Ivan, the founder of Gearbox. Hey, Ivan. Hello, hello. Thanks for welcoming me. I am not the founder, though, so I'm just like one of the first members, uh, but uh, pleased to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So the first question I would have is, how do you make time to be the dictator of the lobster DAO chat, which has like 10,000 people, if not more by now, and also work on the, on the Gearbox DAO? Oh, so the, there is a simple recipe. You basically get some committed and smart contributors who do your work. And then I just play Fortnite and tweet that I'm working really hard. And because the committed uh, good contributors are actually doing the work, people think I work. Uh, nice. No, but if you sit at home all the time and you live in a desert, uh, there is not much else to do. That's um, that's very wise. I should uh, I should probably pick up on that as well and do the same. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see Lobster grow into a massive community, and you know, obviously, very excited to learn more about Gearbox from you ahead of the upcoming launch. So, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your journey, what got you into the space, and what excites you about it? Um, I got into the space in two thousand seventeen at the end of the cycle. Uh, pretty much bought the top back then. Uh, why I got in, I don't know, because I was trying to learn as funny as it could be trading. I learned some patterns and other crap. None of that worked. I, I don't know if that stuff works even to this date. Uh, it all seems like uh, astrology to me. But yeah, uh, after that, just got into some ISO investments, was active in some communities. Then one of the communities needed some help with like marketing. So I, I was doing that in real world, like board game stores uh, as I was playing MTG. And then slowly, as I was working with that media company, then joined the project because uh, I wanted to do something more hands-on rather than just tweeting. Uh, and now back to just tweeting. That joke, of course. But basically, got from investments to a bit more on the marketing side, continued investments, then got on the project side and still continued investments uh, and still doing angel into these days. But haven't been too active in the recent month. Fair enough. Well, given what's happening in the market, um, I don't think that's too surprising and no one can really blame you. So DeFi obviously took uh, took a hit and the hit it took was mainly, I, I feel, from is from an attention span and reputation partially and not deserving it uh, because the blobs that happened this year were obviously CeFi rather than DeFi. But mm -hmm. DeFi is clearly kind of in a, in a bit of a zombie land right now with uh, not that many things launching that are truly innovative and with lots of users, you know, gone or sitting in, in deep losses. So what's your personal opinion about the space now? Um, what do you think needs to happen for it to get exciting again? Um, and yeah, what's your, you know, what's your intuition there? <laughs> well, initially DeFi was interesting to me. Well, first of all, it was one of the very few things alive back in the days, right? They weren't really NFTs, they weren't anything else. And yeah. I always like some financial stuff and a bit of gambling, which DeFi is, because right, anything financial is gambling to an extent. Yeah. Uh, and what was also cool is that it didn't involve any real world stuff back then. It was just fully all on chain. Uh, and I just personally grow to hate in real world things more and more. Because like people know how many issues you have with PayPal, with banking, with trying to buy anything anywhere, with notaries. It's like such a pain in the ass. So while DeFi was like first as a gambling attraction to me, later on it just made more and more and more sense as the whole crypto in general. Uh, but yeah, currently, of course, it is a wasteland uh, as crypto like grows and falls in cycles, whatever part of the industry in crypto it is, and because it's all financially related, when the markets are collapsing, it collapses as well. 
leading to less interest from whether it's retail firms or anybody else, right? Uh, and I forgot your question that I think I went too much blabbering around. So could you please repeat the part that I missed? <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I'm curious what what you think needs to happen for DeFi to become exciting again? Uh, well, yields must go up and degeneracy must go up. So let's say if we get the new printing machine and everything is back up again, and people believe in the altcoins at 100 billion valuations, that would work, right? That would fix it again, <laughs> but it wouldn't structurally fix it. And when we talk about structural fixes, it, the answer might be boring. And I actually would hate to reply that, but it's probably true that if you want more financial stuff to happen, you need to create more utility essentially for the users. And utility is all of the real world stuff that we're missing now. So while I personally wouldn't want to work on it, I do respect it and I think it's needed. Stuff like, I don't know, like some remittance and things, like some under-collateralized loans maybe, and a bunch of other things. Like they don't need to be based on on-chain reputation, which I think is a bit of a silly concept, at least these days. Uh, and other things, it could pretty much function one-to-one, -one, but then it could be used in DeFi primitives. Why I'm saying that is that now we have DeFi yields collapsed, being lower than US Treasury bonds, notes, and bills, right? Which is like literally the most pure, safe form of investment out there if you are taking the effects risks of USD on yourself. Um, and that's why, and there is no way to get that organic yield into crypto right now. Like there is just no way. So money simply leaves the system. Now, if there was some kind of a more widespread and safe way of, I don't know, doing RBA loans and other things, uh, lending to companies like corporate bonds, right? Like access to treasury yields, crypto, money in crypto could have stayed. Well, now we see stable coins leaving in quite big chunks. That could have been due to tornado sanctions, right? And people trust in it less. Or it could be that indeed firms and people just don't have any way to deploy their capital really. Uh, so yeah, about growing DeFi and what needs to happen. Probably all of this TradFi stuff needs to happen and it doesn't have to distort whatever DeFi that is fully transparent does. It could be that it's just like semi-integrated into one another. But then we get into the point that if you start accepting those things that are semi-centralized as collateral, as assets in your DeFi protocols that are truly decentralized, you're not decentralized anymore, right? The same way that Ethereum cannot fork now really because if USDC were to choose a different chain, it like people would obviously choose that one, right? So then it's like, you want it to grow, but for it to grow, you need compliance. But I don't want to re I don't like that part, but I don't see how it can be different from that. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, obviously in order for the space to scale, some sort of a compromise needs to be achieved, but you know- But not SBS compromise. Screw <laughs> that guy though. That compromise is not what I think is needed. Uh, it got people going. So maybe more position will be created now and people with actual decent intentions could jump in, but whatever compromise was written yesterday, right? That didn't seem like it. Yeah. And I, sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, no, no, uh, I agree. Obviously compromise being uh, uh, not compromise for the sake of compromise, but something that actually works and makes sense. Because in an ideal world, right, you have some sort of decentralized infrastructure um, and then these real world assets get tokenized and they sit on top of that, right? So that there is still a version of the future where you know, the gearboxes of this world can continue to build what's truly exciting and uh, permissionless. And then some chunk of, chunks of that could be forked into the permission DeFi or whatever it may be. But clearly we, you know, the killer app of the space is open innovation, right? And if we start to choke it, then it defeats the whole purpose of the space. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. 
And we can, of course, get into debate that real-world assets can function if you literally cannot reverse a transaction rate uh, and a bunch of that stuff. It's like fair, everybody fairly knows all of these intricacies. Uh, but yeah, so for that to grow, that needs to happen. Otherwise, we could still continue experiments in, um, let's say, if the yields were to come in somehow else, let's say, for now, in the downturn markets, we can't have much economic activity because real yields are not here, right? So mm -hmm. normal lending, normal company stuff is not here. And crypto just becomes like a, a, a better industry in terms of high volatility and like actually growing markets. In that case, if the yields were to come back, you could still do things like um, splitting yield tokens right into principal and variable and enable markets in that to be more liquid, which is currently being done by quite many protocols, but not with yeah. much success yet because there is no yield to split, right? Why yes. would you split 1% into 0.7 and 0.3 if you yeah. take so much risk on yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Um, any kind of thing. So it can still continue functioning fully decentralized without any of this new stuff. But of course, new stuff is what the majority of people use. So that it would allow to grow even more. Agree with you completely. So with all this in mind, uh, how does Gearbox come into this? Uh, it's as far as it can be from the traditional space, really. Um, it, it is in, as a primitive, as like prime brokerage in a way, but fully decentralized. So there are no like, risk scores for people there is no kyc nor it can even be potentially done it can't because it's only full on chain there is no reputation uh everything is just based on math and on-chain stuff so while like you could even potentially that is already happening really with banks right like let's say you have a house and let's say you're renting a couple of properties right you own them you're renting a couple uh you have like even your health factor position like internally in the bank so in that case your box credit accounts could be compared to that but of course, here it's fully on-chain, verifiable, and decentralized. So there are platforms in DeFi right now that allow you to take some leverage, right? There are platforms like Compound and Aave where you can go and put some boring token in there and lever it up effectively. Doing it manually, <laughs> painted, but it is feasible. There are platforms like Abracadabra where would, they obviously have some of their own nuances, uh, but uh, once in a while, if you're a small retail user, because they don't allow it for, for large capital, you can go, you can put your stable coins or whatever else into some LP token and potentially lever it up. But obviously it's kind of permissioned because they choose which assets are allowed uh, kind of in their, in their list. So what is the new radical innovation with Gearbox? What does it allow us to do as uh, beaten up DJs in the space that uh, existing DeFi does not? Mm -hmm. Great question. So leverage comes in various forms. There is leverage as in like capital efficiency. There is leverage as in like casino gambling, altcoin, x hundred, x hundred, right, and other things, uh, other forms of leverage. If we look at, and that of course influences the user segments you are trying to target, because what we are building, Gearbox is building, is leverage as a primitive and Beam as a middle layer. So we don't dictate what and how you do. It's just leverage that you can use for different primitives later on. And we just work on growing that set of primitives, be it stablecoin farming, LIGO, liquid staking, leverage, uh, short loan, hedging, whatnot. All of that can be done. But let's distill into some basics to understand where the differences come from. So if you are looking at the segment of user base that wants to, let's say, extend PTC or ETH right, or altcoins, then you're better off looking at perps. Why? Because perps will always be more liquid and more efficient in execution rather than spot markets. And that is true in the real world as well, right? Derivative space is 
what is it, 100 times more than Spot? Something like that, like many times more. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why it is also especially true for crypto is because of the oracles and liquidity you have in place. Like these days, if you're trying to do it fully on chain on the spot market, you have to discount the LTVs for chain, like price tick for possible gas slippage for liquid data premium and all of that. So you always end up with LTVs that don't allow for more than X6 or so if you take different volatile assets. If you take correlated assets like stable to stable, you can do extend or even higher. You can even do higher, but then you're just doing a retarded play. And I believe that's the case with Abracadabra, right? What is their LTV to their stables? Like 99? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, how can they do X50? So 99 essentially means that if there is any detect happening, which is less than the chain link price stick, you, you're gone. Like your money is gone fully. You wouldn't have the time or any, any buffer to liquidate essentially. And they could be wrong with their recent products. It's just that it's one of the most known leveraged stablecoin farming avenues, I think, mm-hmm. uh, from back in the day. So that's why I just mentioned it. But otherwise, what do we want? Leverage is a middle layer, right? How it compares. Mm, so yeah, perps are better if you're looking at the segment of the user base where people want to loan and short. You can still loan and short on Gearbox, but not with that efficiency because it's more safe. Um, if you look at the stablecoin farming and let's say Lido leverage liquid staking and things like that, that's where we believe Gearbox could be better potentially used because mm-hmm. there are mostly only spot markets for that and they're very liquid. And these markets are more safe because they defects can happen, but they don't just happen overnight fully, except for what happened with UST. So mm-hmm. there is a buffer for liquidation and there is no systemic risk per se. As long as the liquidity is there and you can control for it and you have different ways to do it, um, these markets are fairly safe. So you end up with leverage as capital efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, end of the day, Gearbox could come into play where it could compete maybe with DYDX or like Perp if needed, but we honestly don't see that happening anytime soon because perpetuals and derivatives are better for that uh, rather than spot leverage. So you Does that fully cover? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this is... Um... You know, th- this is the perfect kind of um, summary of, I think, the way how DeFi, you know, users should, should think about this. You touched on a point which I think is, in my opinion, the most important point for DeFi right now and the biggest challenge, and that is capital efficiency. So at the moment, DeFi is extremely capital inefficient, right? We still have uh, tons of capital sitting in UniV2 and UniV2 style forks, which is an inefficient AMM. We still have uh, over-collateralized lending marketplaces. So it is not, not efficient. And given how little capital is left in DeFi versus what it was just a few months ago, um, it's clearly an issue because the days where you could have gotten better terms, or not better terms, but you know, better, better fax rate from, from an AMM versus Binance, those days may be gone unless you're talking about you know, specific parent curve or UDB3. So how mm. does Gearbox uh, solve the capital efficiency challenge of DeFi? Um, great question. So yeah, indeed you're right. And I think one of the reasons, or the main reason for that is that the yields people can get now are simply not at par with the risk you're taking. You, I think there was during the DeFi summer when you could like get 500% APY yearly on your position. I think there was some article I forgot who wrote that said, you're better off, let's say, if you wanted to put a million in, and you would say earn, let's say 50% APY, right? Not, not 500. And you would earn like 50K worth of a year. From risk reward perspective, you're better off just spending the 50K 
Because if everything goes well, it's fine. You're good. You will just make money or at least be on par. But if everything hacks, you lose your entire notional. Mm -hmm. so the same thing here, right? Why would you LP for 1%? Yep. It just doesn't make sense. If yes. it was fully safe, like even with banks, really, like people, I don't think it was very popular to deposit with banks for 1%. Like people did it at retirement accounts and stuff like that because there was no other opportunity and they wanted to be passive. But it wasn't like a killer product offering at all. So neither should it be in crypto, really. Um, what should we, uh, could you please repeat the second part? Uh, yeah, how does Gearbox um, solve the capital efficiency challenge? Yeah, so conceptually speaking, again, Gearbox leverage is more like a middle layer leverage and more so suited for capital efficiency rather than Legion gambling. So that way, let's say if you're already farming curve, you have LP tokens. You can use the LP tokens as collateral to lever up more, meaning take more money than you have. And let's say LP back into the same thing or in a different stable coin pool. So you improve the efficiency, both of your position, because you borrow more than what you have, and also the efficiency, the depth of the pools that you LP in. Uh, and because those, let's say, curve pools specifically, they are in a very narrow range. It's not the same as Uni V2 because you are better off being there. So that's quite okay, right? If you said the same about Uni V2, there, would, there could be capital efficiency there because once Uni V2 LP gets added in your box, the same could be true. But because you're always paired 50% approximately with another asset um, that is likely a volatile altcoin, your LTV is going to be quite low. So you could still like probably X2, X3 there or even X4, but uh, that would improve capital efficiency though if you believe Uni V2 can even improve capital efficiency as a concept, which as you mentioned, does not really, right? Yeah. Uh, when we talk about Uni V3, it should be doable. There are quite a few projects working on counting position value essentially without making it manipulatable. It is possible to add Uni V3 liquidity provision later on in Gearbox, but then the question is, what would those pairs be where you can safely give leverage? Mm -hmm. Let's say if we take stablecoin pairs or major assets to each other that are correlated like DAI to USDC or SDH to ETH, um, then, well, yeah, that can be done, but that's similar to what you do already in Curve, so that's not even a different product offering per se. Yep. Um, and if you talk about volatile pairs, well, let's say 50% approximately is in another asset, or not 50%, doesn't matter, where a part is in the other asset, um, it could be done. So it could improve capital efficiency in that way. Um, in terms of who takes loans, so I wouldn't call under collateralized lending as capital efficiency. Like for capital, what, what do you actually see as capital efficiency? Because you would know that better. I, I might be misunderstanding the concept you're trying to talk about. Well, I think, you know, the way how I think about capital efficiency is um, an ability for you to do more with your capital, right? Which, mm -hmm. um, which, Sometimes means, you know, if you take it to extreme, it can mean, you know, 500 that crazy leverage, which is obviously very destructive. Um, it's less capital efficiency, more casino, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But so it's like a spectrum, right? Um, so, um, you know, if you if you have $100 and you want to um, borrow against it, different players in the world can give you different types of leverage. And uh, if you are let's say in the traditional world, if you're a professional client uh, with sufficient reserves and who has, you know, who's able to pass some sort of, you know, risk management tests, then the banks can potentially give you very 
uh, very good margin, and then your capital becomes extremely efficient because um, you can, you know, kind of lever it up, so to speak, and spend, buy, whatever, which is obviously how the economy is going. Um, because obviously the economy is kind of built on debt, and without debt, you can't really scale uh, um, as sad as it, as it is. So then when you have to lock up all of your capital to get one loan or what have you, obviously it, remove, it reduces the velocity of capital in the space, right? Because now you can only do one thing with your money effectively instead of two, instead of three. And this multiplier effect is very, very powerful. So I think basically we're talking about the same thing. And it's all about drawing the line, what is capital efficiency and what is degenerate and, uh, uh, and basically gambling. Yeah, you fully agree. You explained it. Yeah, you explained it super well. So Gearbox does eight and all of these things. And as time goes by with more integrations, it can make other protocols more capital efficient. So yeah. the thing with leverage in Gearbox is that all of the executions and trades, they don't happen inside the pools. They all happen on external protocols. So that's mm -hmm. what I mean with middle middle layer leverage or like leverage is a primitive that this yeah. is where you essentially take a loan, but at X of your position, depending on how risky you want to be, X3, X5, X10 in some cases, or more later on, as chain link price takes get improved, mm -hmm. um, or other Oracle, let's say. So yes, then you can deploy that more capital, which means you're more capital efficient to the avenues that are basically pre-approved by the DAO. Uh, that is both assets and protocols. And it's not that the DAO dictates you where you have to go. It just limits the range of activities you can do, obviously for safety purposes. Because if you didn't have that, you would just be able to borrow at leverage and, I don't know, leverage, buy some fake Eurosets when you talk and you create it on Uniswap and then bam, all the money is gone. So, uh, of course, you also have to look into safety in this regards. Like, that's why uh, when we get the question, like, okay, how guys are going to integrate all of these 50 protocols? The answer could be like, there is no point in doing it. Because providing leverage to a protocol that only has like 5 million of TVL, you can't even safely do that, right? Or to an asset that only has 5 million in Uniswap liquidity. Um, there is not much market opportunity in terms of safety to get into that. And if you look at the most capital efficient avenues, so let's say capital abundant avenues with like Curve, uh, some specific Uniswap pools, uh, mostly Curve actually these days because of the tight range, uh, that, that can easily be done. So Gearbox does that with V2. And of course, as DeFi grows, other things can be implemented. Yeah, speaking about oracles and safety, uh, obviously we've seen uh, many oracle attacks uh, on lending marketplaces where potentially an oracle price uh, gets manipulated or the price of an asset gets manipulated, which feeds into the oracle. And then the, um, uh, the lending platform can, can suffer some heavy losses. So how are you guys managing that risk uh, in Gearbox? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not from the risk committee, but I can relay most of the major things the search do there. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, we are now also working with risk DAO to, for all of these things. So oh, nice. the dashboard to optimize that stuff and probably mm -hmm. also looking to add chaos labs maybe in Q1 next year, just to have different providers help with these things. Mm -hmm. But basically the Oracle Oracle that we use are only chain link. And for the reason that this is the most reliable one. And yes, I remember how everybody was bashing them mean to do this back in the last cycle, how centralized it was. But issue is there is nothing that really compares to what they provide. But yeah. we also did a comparison of what our oracles do and how good their uptime is essentially. And Chainlink still wins. But maybe in some cases, someone will be a bit better. But overall, for the reliance, Chainlink is good with that. So, Sergey, please send me some link token for shilling. Um, <laughs> 
As for the LP price shares, we just use whatever there is on chain and using chain link oracles to calculate the, if there are more than one asset in a LP position, um, you know, LP price share, Wyong has that, Convex is a bit different, but Curve also, but they're essentially all fairly similar. But then we also have a range of where the Oracle would essentially, I, I could be technically wrong, but basically remember the cream attack where like a wire and deposit, like, I don't know, flash yeah. loan a billion out in, mm -hmm. it changed the, um, the price share, right? Because it put too much liquidity and then withdrew or the other way around. So we take a range as such that if normal deposits happen in and out, like people come in, right? People go out, mm -hmm. it would be fine. And the range would only need to be updated every few weeks or even month or even year. Um, so in that case, if you're trying to like flash loan manipulate, that wouldn't work there. It, it does a bit, it gives a bit more manual oversight into it. Like you have to look mm -hmm. for when the liquidity in the pool changes by a lot so that you have to update the range. But that's so far, as far as we know, is the best way to do it. And yeah, um, when you talk about Oracle attacks, like the recent one that uh, the new <laughs> hero on Twitter is doing, I think you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, with yeah. the REM idea and boring all of it. That's yeah. not an Oracle attack. That's just, um, I mean, if you have enough money to buy, borrow and pump an asset that is fairly liquid and is in a billion dollar valuation, well, well, fuck, what can you do about it? You, you can, of course, yeah. watch for it and you can stop when an attack is happening. But I don't know how you could preemptively even measure it. Like people have been trying to dump on Aave saying like, oh, you should take liquidity into account, all of that. But uh, I mean, you could manually do it, but can you even automatically do that stuff? On chain, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's obviously very hard. I mean, one uh, is, as you and I know, one of the lending platforms, uh, the newer ones, they started using a TWOP, right, where they have decided to um, not rely on the price of as of right now, but the average price over 30 minutes, which um, should uh, substantially increase the economic cost of doing the attack. But obviously, if you have unlimited capital, even that is not impossible. But that becomes yeah. a bit but did they actually have to wind it down? I remember they had to plug in Chainlink Oracles instead with the Ethereum upgrade because there was something with TWAPs, UniV3, and POS that could essentially enable an attack vector. I could be wrong. I remember they had some votes for that. So I was like, okay, so TWAP doesn't work now? I'm I'm not sure. I thought that was in relation to a specific uh, isolated pool. But anyway, um, okay, okay. It's, well, it's one of the complexities to kind of to, to work out as the space matures. And you know, one other thing I'm curious about is whenever you talk about leverage, um, there will inevitably be margin calls, which is just the name of the game. So how does the backstopping process work um, on Gearbox, right? How do you ensure that if a user got unlucky and is getting liquidated, that the system remains uh, fully solvent? Mm -hmm. So in the general sense, it uses the health factor idea as anywhere else. So in this case, you have, of course, within a credit account, being your leveraged wallet, as to say, you can have isolated positions. So you have different accounts or you can have all the positions at once in case you just want them to be correlated. I don't know why. I think it's always safer to split because if you have like a stable coin farming position, I would believe it should be different from, let's say, a ETH short because one could link liquidation of another, even if the other is safe and fully pegged. Um, anyway, so... Every asset you have in there has its own LTV. And what we do with LTVs is we look at the chain link price tick and the liquidity that is there. So of course, all these things can be updated uh, and also look at the possible gas fees and the liquidated premium. So it reduces the LTV as such, reducing the maximum leverage you can give. 
but it makes, of course, the system much more safe in that regard. Um, and then essentially health factor sums up all of the different asset values you have. And if you have more than one, you're fine. Of course, as with health factors, the higher the health factor is, the better it is, but the higher it is, the less efficient you are. So you have to choose, as you mentioned previously, the balance between the two. Um, since the price stick, the liquidation premium, and a few other things reduce the LTV by maybe more than they should, it should be safe enough to liquidate all of that. So in that sense, for the year that Eurobox has functioned, almost a year, yes, the limits were low. Yes, there were not many assets, but there, were no, there was no bad debt generated and then all liquidations worked fine. And when speaking of bad debt, Arbeck has about like, what is it, 0.5 to 1% bad debt, as far as I remember. And yeah. it's okay, right? Because like from the risk perspective, you just count it in. You don't have to solve it because the only way when it would ever be triggered if the system who has a full bank run, but in that case, you could still subsidize it with, I don't know, that treasury and other stuff. So it's not actually an issue when people talk about it. Like there is no immediate concern that you should solve. But in Gearbox, no bad debt so far. I think the interesting case that you're probably wondering about is what would happen, let's say, if there are too many positions with SDH being open mm -hmm. uh, that then drains liquidity in the curve pool, which has happened before almost, right? It yep. depends from 0.97 to, I think, 87 or something at the lower, yep. or 89. Yeah. And then back to 94 now or something like that. Um, there was a case, yeah. Yeah, there was a case once when InstaDAP if they were to unwrap all their positions, that would essentially create like a hole in other. Not like a hole, but like it would be pretty shit for everybody involved with STH positions. So in that case, of course, there has to be constant monitoring of that liquidity. Uh, and then as there is constant monitoring, the DAO can approve for interest rate changes, even in an emergency setting. So let's say, you know, when the same concept is using lending all like stablecoin protocols, you could up the interest rate that the borrower has to pay which essentially slowly incentivizes people to wind down their positions. It wouldn't lead to immediate liquidation usually because for immediate liquidation, you really have to be at health factor of 1.01 to lead to somewhat immediate. Otherwise the liquidation would still only occur in like a few months down the line because the interest rate occurs slowly. But to those who are actively managing their positions and have leverage, they will understand that at this interest rate, for instance, you are not making money, so you might as well wind down. So then you can slowly reduce the systemic risk of that. Um, that's one of the ideas. What is the idea that you, for example, would recommend? How do you see that playing out? Let's say the SDH curve pool specifically. Well, that's a billion dollar question, right? Uh, I think, you know, like fundamentally, at least the way how I think about this is the question is who underwrites the risk, right? Is it the users? Um, and the users in, in your case could be, you know, providers of capital. So liquidity slash credit providers, uh, or is it the, the DAO and therefore it maybe needs to rely on liquidation bots, right? Because there are systems in place where um, your liquidation mechanism is embedded in, let's say, a stability pool for one of our mutually favorite stable, favorite stable coins, right? Mm -hmm. And the system doesn't need to rely on external providers of um, um, capital to run liquidation boards or flash loans being available, the chain not being congested, so on and so forth. Um, so it's, I think it's a question of how, like, ultimately, you know, who's going to carry the bag, so to speak, if something goes wrong. So in the case of Avra, you know, you could theoretically argue that, you know, the stable coin should trade at lower than one uh, because there is some bad debt. Uh, it's obviously, you know, they have a plan to repay it, so I'm sure they'll 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 do fine. 
but structurally that's how you think of it at least how we, we think about it at like at the reselling level at the, from a creditor's perspective so um sometimes you know it might even be the case that you can say okay well um you as a as a lender you're gonna sit on that asset and it's your responsibility to liquidate it as and when you see fit and this introduces a barrier right because then not every single DGEN can become a credit provider, but also it could reduce the, you know, the rush to the door where everyone's liquidation system works automatically. And it's just, it's a, it's a one big mess. And obviously the smaller the asset as percentage of available, well, uh, the smaller the asset or the larger the asset as percentage of available liquidity, the harder it is to achieve it. And STT is a perfect example, right? It's an asset that has whatever, billions of dollars of TVL, but uh, liquidity was getting very, very tight and it was really unclear what would happen should the situation deteriorate. Very true, very interesting look into it, yeah. I think if we talk about liquidity in that case that you mentioned, right, the disability pool, um, mm -hmm. it works if you really, I think, have like one or two assets. It, I don't think it can really work with many assets. I agree. It becomes pretty impossible because you need to, it actually becomes capital inefficient that you have to maintain all of these things. Yes. Like, yes, as a bank, it would make sense, right? Because the bank owns all of it. But yeah. with crypto, uh, you can't own all of it, at least for now. Maybe SBF will own all of us later, soon enough. Uh, <laughs> yes, then you can, of course, have your own stability pool for absolutely every asset, liquidate into it. And then you could price in, let's say, your own credit, credit risk assumptions that, okay, I'm fine buying SDH all of it in existence at, let's say, 0.70, right? That's okay. Uh, so then you can set up the lower threshold. Even. Uh, but yeah, probably not very practical. And I'm not sure if it will even become practical. But when speaking of this, of not liquidating, essentially, when we're chatting to Element about like how that could be done, the thing is that with principal tokens, unless there is a protocol hack, the principal tokens will always return the minimal of what you put in. Right? They, are, they will have it. Uh, but you might not have immediate liquidity at some maturity date. Uh, before the maturity, right? So yeah. then you rely on external markets that they can subsidize, but this can be liquidated. But it, it's not really economically efficient to provide one-to-one -one backend with that, right? Because mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense. But for a protocol to function in a decentralized way, there needs to be guarantee or some assumption with, let's say, a lower LTV that that has to be there. Like, let's say Gearbox, Gearbox on-chain doesn't know that element is being safe. And even though it needs to liquidate the position, there is no liquidity. And the liquidation has to be there because people lend in the capital, right? If they want to pull out, they at some point needed to have it. Uh, that, of course, wouldn't force liquidation. I'm just saying conceptually, right? They cannot take a loss because that's not how this thing is designed. Um, so in that case, Element would look, okay, what if there is like an avenue or like the DAO could step in and essentially buy out all of that at a certain rate? So then it's essentially them guaranteeing that we trust our own collaterals and principal tokens fully and we will make sure that Gearbox has enough liquidity to liquidate into. Uh, so they essentially take that credit risk in that sense, which yeah. makes sense, right? Let's say if you, I think centralized exchanges were essentially doing it, but listing shit coins back in the days. Remember when Huobi and OKX, I think they still do. Uh, mm -hmm. They And Binance didn't though. Binance never, I think it almost never asked for this. They required project teams to pre-fund market making accounts, right? Yeah. So if there were huge dumpers to happen, they would be the ones absorbing. So, exactly. of course, it's highly illegal, highly retarded, right? Because they just pretty much dump the tokens they received as a payment into that guaranteed liquidity. But still, it was the project underwriting that. Yeah. Uh, not very efficient. Yeah. 
yeah eventually someone needs to hold the risk right that's you know yes yeah it's the same the same logic so now that we've spoken about the risk um uh, i think sir now is the time to ask you for some alpha so gearbox is scheduled to go live in the very near future so next week yep exactly so what can we as you know whether it's full-time liquidity providers like like Reseven, whether it's you know individual DGENs, what should we be looking towards, uh, and what should we be ready for? Should we get our curve LP tokens, union LP tokens, and you know lever up like crazy? What are you know what's the alpha, sir? What do we do? Tell us. Yes, sir. So I would start off by saying that Gearbox is a modular protocol. So when you talk about integrations, pools, assets, all of that. Because protocol is modular, you can isolate risk, you can combine different pools and risk criteria with other ones and not have it all in one place. While let's say like with Aave or other protocols, you do have to. Um, so that's one thing. What comes from that is that V2 won't structurally fully differ from V1, meaning that create accounts. Remember the ceremony of mining that wasted seven and a half million dollars that otherwise could have been in my seaside property. Uh, mm -hmm. So those will stay the same. Pools will also stay the same. So if you already have LP and Gearbox, those pools will not change. What changes are many gluing pieces in between the credit managers and a bunch of other parameters. But they just need to be essentially plugged out by the DAO um, as the votes are happening now after the devs will take everything and according to what is voted, then implement that. So they need to be taken out and replaced with new pieces based. All of that was, of course, audited many times. I think we have six audits at this point in total, like bug bounty. So doing all the best to keep it safe but as we all know no DeFi protocol is ever fully safe so understand the risks okay so that point about modularity now to alpha sorry for making it that long uh as the votes are going through now it seems like they're passing or at least the ones that are very detrimental uh liquidity mining should as a result start on 24th so on monday that's like in three days uh the block height will be essentially pre-announced uh, and you don't have to use an interface for it, but an interface will be updated. Uh, the way liquidity mining would happen is now the DAO is voting for the amount of rewards per each pool and the duration. Um, the thing is that if there is more liquidity, then the DAO optimized the API would be lower, right? And there is less liquidity, the API would be higher. The typical curve farm, essentially. But because gear is still untransferable, you would only be able to seeing the interface what rewards you have accrued but the claim contract will be done later let's say in two three or four weeks even and will be done let's say every month or so up until gear becomes transferable so it is liquidity mining it is a certain number of tokens you're receiving and the interface will show what that is at the benchmark the tower has decided but if you of course have a different understanding of what gear evaluation should be you just change that number in your head accordingly that's it but basically five assets WBTC, USDC, and DAI, and then ETH, and stake ETH. Sorry, wrapped stake ETH. That's an important distinction. So those five assets, each one of them will have liquidity mining starting on Monday. Uh, you can already LP even now, just not to watch out for block height later because pools will stay the same. Uh, but if you want to be really be minute to minute, just look for Twitter to figure out which block height it is on Monday. But again, no need to wait for the last minute. Just do it on Sunday before going to bed. That's liquidity mining. Why does it start first? Is because that liquidity is needed to give credit accounts so the borrowers and leverage takers to have liquidity to execute their strategies. So that is going live on about 27th, 28th of October. Um, so that will mean that you will be able to take leverage and open different positions. What could those positions be? 
For stablecoin farming, you can go as high as nine or 10x if you borrow stable to stable debt, so correlated assets. That is GUSD, so the Gemini USD curve pool. And when I'm talking about curve pools, it means that there is a wire and convex pools accordingly. So because they're all the same, right? Curve tokens go into one and the other. So it's uh, GUSD, LUSD, Dean Liquidity, uh, SUSD, that is Synthetics USD, mm-hmm. and Frax, Frax 3 CRV. Uh, Frax BT are not added yet because they're quite recent, might be added later, but basically these are the only stable, decent APY given ones that still exist in the market. So GUSD, yeah. LUSD, SUSD, and Frax 3 CRV. Um, the other one that is also decent is MIM. It still gives good APY, mm-hmm. but nobody from the risk committee was sure whether to trust it enough or distrust it enough. It's like in between. It's fine, it's liquid, but nobody understands like how safe is it to add it because of the certain people behind it, right? Who almost have a one key plug to fuck it all up. Sorry for the, for the words, but yeah, could be added later. Would you add it, for example? Um, it's a good question. So we've been, you know, keeping an eye on Meme and Abra for a while. We've been comfortable um, holding capital there and playing with it because the system obviously works and it went through a horrible, horrible uh, kind of stress test with UST. And mm-hmm. even at that point in time, their bad debt ended up being 3% of uh, of TVL, which isn't too... Okay. Yeah, which A, isn't, isn't bad. B, that amount is smaller than the Dow Treasury. So even if it's not immediately repaid, you can argue it could be repaid because arguably these people uh, care about their reputation over the long run because they want to be very well-known, very public and very big. Um, but the problem you have is that it's not as liquid and quite often it could trade below the peg and there would be nothing wrong with it because liquidity doesn't equal risk, right? So if a coin yep. trade below, if stable coin trades below one, it doesn't mean there are any issues with it. But obviously, when you're doing this on leverage, um, you you know you need to be mindful of that. So, like, there is always buying pressure on LUSD. There is always selling pressure on MIM. Uh, whilst uh, neither of them suffer from any credit uh, issues, so potentially yes, but maybe restricting the amount of leverage, knowing that it can depeg. Right. So there was a case a few months ago couple of months ago, where one large liquidity provider who may have been associated with the DAO actually pulled a bunch of their liquidity for three days. And overnight, me went 79 cents on a dollar, right? So if you're levered up, you get destroyed uh, by the time you wake up on a Saturday, which isn't very nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the note. Yeah, so might end up adding them because indeed they have weathered a big storm and they come out fine. So props to that. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, and uh, as, so oh, now, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, as we kind of as we wrap up, um, what is the kind of the one or two things about Gearbox you would leave us with? What will it look like a year, two, five years down the line? Will we be levering up on uh, cotton futures uh, and U.S. Treasuries, or you know how how will it will all look in the future? Mm-hmm. So. A point about cotton futures and stuff like that, that is conceptually possible if let's say we all go through all of the CFTC brokerage licenses, right? And a bunch of other stuff. And there is REA that essentially transposes all of these things into DeFi that is done by somebody else because there is too much legal work to actually do that. It could be done. Like, I don't think it's impossible. Technically speaking, definitely not impossible. 
otherwise, using NFTs as collateral is doable. Mm-hmm. But of course, there needs to be a liquid market enough for that. Maybe Pseudoswap will be able to sustain that. For now, same as in default coins, as well as NFTs, liquidity is absolutely absent. There is just none. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, later on, it, it revives, could be done. Unity 2, Unity 3 LP could be done. We still struggle to see what product offerings that would really do, given that professional MMs usually have access enough to their real-world prime brokerage. And in that case, like, is Gearbox really needed there to take the risk? Maybe, mm-hmm. yes, we'll see later. Um, a bunch of stuff with like fixed lending, uh, sorry, fixed rate lending could be done, like levering up on principal tokens, let's say with Element, with Yield and with others. Um, boom, boom, boom. What else could be interesting? Uh, levered up uh, structured finance. So all of this world builders, UniB3 optimizers, uh, options, DOVs and things like that could just lever up into that as a source of yield could, could be done. And yet, it depends really how it goes. So for now, we have like a few protocols to work on as integrations, be Unibit, UniLP, Balance, and Aura. Keep picking up a bit of hype, I would say, and having decent yield there for now. Mm-hmm. Um, NFTs, as they continue to grow or not. Otherwise, really have to see. But basically, Gearbox is modular, so it could be adapted to having different risk parameters for different liquidity provider tolerance. And essentially, it could be, first of all, cross-chain. Second, could be NFT leverage product, could be altcoin leverage product. All of this is doable. Just that at first, it's difficult to have it because it would fragment liquidity too much. Like, you can't fragment liquidity when you're still too tiny, and the box is tiny for now. Hopefully, that changes soon enough mm-hmm. uh, with the market growing and the box launching. But otherwise, for alpha, look out for 24th liquidity mining start. Passive liquidity provision, one single asset no liquidations, very dummy style like you do in Aave. And for leverage takers, which I think is more for you, all the stable coin farming, the most safe pools and the different variations of STH strategies. So liquid leverage staking, uh, as in just pure staking yield, supply that to curve, the STH to ETH pool, supply that to convex and I don't know, make a delta neutral, short, short ETH for instance, long ETH, you can long and short ETH and then put it into farming. So you could have like a self-repay short and long. So that is quite interesting. And yeah, and that is supposed to be end of next week. And hopefully it all stays safe. Well, yeah, this is, uh, you know, true uh, degeneracy at its finest. Maybe this will kickstart, you know, DeFi Summer 2.0. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, for that, we would need a bit more shitcoin issues from every side and every integration. That would kick the yields up and maybe revive things. But yeah, uh, overall, the market of DeFi is interesting. It's growing well in terms of like what it allows to do. And I think we just need to wait for a new wave for new applications. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. Clearly, it's not going anywhere. Clearly, it's able to withstand massive shocks to its system and um, and survive and function properly. So the future is obviously bright. Uh, it gets even a little bit brighter in a few days from now when you guys go live. So thank you for making the time uh, to to speak to us. Good luck with the launch and see you see you on the other side. Thank you very much for inviting me and speaking through and asking great questions. And yeah, looking forward to seeing you specifically and others on Gearbox uh, when it's live. Cool. Thank you, Ivan. Speak thank soon. you, sir. Bye. Speak soon. Bye-bye.